This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. What a great week to spend some time in Patience, Colorado. It is episode 352 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Hopefully you already watched Resident Alien on sci-fi when it premiered this past week because man do we have a lot to talk about when it comes to that show this week i got a chance to talk to quite a few members of the cast about the series actually sarah tomko alice wetterland Corey reynolds levi filer all here to talk to me about resident alien from sci-fi maybe we get a little maybe just a little spoilery on the first episode if you haven't seen it yet and man it was such a good one too also going to be talking about our new sponsor this week, Care Of, and how you can get some amazing vitamins and supplements delivered right to your door. There's some great comics to talk about this week, some very, very interesting nerd news. But starting things off, it's going to be a little chilly. Going to be talking about the season two premiere of Snowpiercer. Going to drop some spoilers while we're at it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Karen Ashley from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's all connected, literally, as we start the second season of Snowpiercer on TNT. And boy, was there a lot going on in this first episode of season two. So big spoilers here coming up as the the episode's already aired. So let's talk some spoilers. You got Big Alice connected to the Snowpiercer now, right? So here's the most interesting thing that happened right off the bat. And I don't know why I didn't think about this. 
when I was watching the trailers. The tail is not the tail anymore. So now it's like this border between the two trains. And the, the war always happens on the border, right? That's like the front line. So that's where things are going to go down. And it goes down in this episode. Mr. Wilford doesn't waste any time playing hardball either. Apparently, if you stop the train, the temperature just drops and everybody dies. That's another thing you kind of forget when you watch this show and you get so deep into this into the character building that they've done in season one. So Mr. Wilford uses Melanie's daughter, Alex, as his like collector or enforcer. And it turns out there's a lot more to her character than meets the eyes we're going through this first episode. So you've got the everybody on Snowpiercer running around trying to trying to save their lives by giving getting all these items. And then meanwhile, you've got Melanie who spent way too much time outside the train. I was start I was really starting to, you know, get my, my blood pressure was going up. I'm like, get back on the train. And they're even yelling at her, get back on the train. I'm like, yeah, get your ass back on the train. What are you doing? Especially when you see that hole go in her suit. That was not good. So once she does finally get back on the train, it's on the Big Alice side, and we get to see this confrontation right off the bat between Melanie and Mr. Wilford, and they've got history. And Mr. Wilford's like, you stole my train, I want it back. And it's, it's there's a lot more complicated than that, but that that's kind of the gist of it, okay? And remember, Melanie doesn't even know her daughter is alive, and Mr. Wilford has completely brainwashed Alex. And you want to talk about using someone as a pawn, against someone else. That's what Mr. Wilford tries to do here, but Melanie's such an interesting and strong character. While Alex is certainly a weakness for her, she doesn't let that affect what she needs to do to survive and to basically, I mean, for a lack of better way of putting it, get what he wants, get what she wants. So, and she knows what her endgame needs to be. And if Melanie's nothing, she's a survivor, okay? You might not have liked her right away in first season, but she's tough. And she really holds tough against Mr. Wilford and everything that he's trying to do. And she even says, hey, you know, Leighton's in charge you in, of the, of the Snowpiercer now. You want your train back? Talk to him. Mr. Wilford doesn't seem to care about that. And as much as he tries to force Melanie to do something, he, she just doesn't. She does not budge, and she takes some serious risks, too, by the way. Like, that explosion thing that happens at the end of the first episode, that was a huge risk on her part, but boy, did it pay off. Now, you go back on the Snowpiercer side, and, you know, Layton's already got this, you know, really, you know, very loose democracy right now, right? That's what he's trying to preach to everyone on Snowpiercer, right? You know, the whole everybody's equal thing, everybody gets a voice, and, but then he's got to deal with this kind of incursion from the, the, the group from Big Alice and how they're going to survive because they seem to have no control over anything that's going on now. And he's got the whole thing with, you know, his babies on board literally now. And not everybody is really trusting what Leighton is selling. And that is a big problem for him. And he's got this very shaky leadership going on here, and not the best relationship with the folks from hospitality either, by the way. I mean, you can kind of understand that, but at the same time, you've got some you've got some people that are willing to all band together and others not so much. And then everything that's going on now with Big Alice just ramps that up even more. So while that wasn't a huge focus, I didn't think of this episode, Yeah, yeah it certainly had to be somewhat of a focus, 
their people are still dying, but it's just a different war this time. And you could argue an even bigger war than the one they just fought. So imagine going to war to win your freedom and then having to go on a, a complete other war immediately right after that. You're battle weary and you've got to jump right in to this other war. And not to mention the other side, by the way, has this guy, Bob. And I don't know who the hell Bob is, where he came from, why he doesn't seem to be affected by the cold at all, but he is a beast of a man. It's like when you watch Game of Thrones and you had the mountain, right? And anytime you saw the mountain, you're like, oh shit, everybody's dead, right? That, that's exactly how you felt, right? Nobody's getting through this dude. That's kind of how you feel about Bob. And the second Bob has to actually go against the Snowpiercer group, you want to, he just starts mowing these people down. And remember, they invade Big Alice, and Bob knows all the tricks. That was not, not at all a good move. And again, that's another way that they could possibly question Leighton's leadership. And Leighton didn't exactly let everybody know that he was going to do this either, by the way. So that's a problem. So I don't know how, why this guy's so strong or why the cold doesn't bother him, but we got to figure that out. And there was another, it was something very quick that happened in this episode where you've got these scientists, right? The, the ones that helped he, cure Melanie's frostbite or at least treat it anyway. And they have this, you know, like miracle salve. They're like, okay, just put this on. You'll be good to go. And you figure they're going to play a role, especially, and then you see Bob, you're like, they had to have something to do with that. So these scientists, I think, are going to be way more important at some point in this season. I'm not saying it's going to be in the middle, in the next episode. I don't know. I will tell you that they will be more important here at some point, and we will hear from them again. But I love Sean Bean as Mr. Wilford. He, and the trailer does not do it justice. I will say that. I thought he was going to be good by the trailer. I think he's really, really good. You're going to hate this guy. If you haven't watched the episode yet, you're going to hate him. There's no question about that. Question is, will he survive this season, though? That's not exactly something Sean Bean does a lot. So uh, he's fantastic. The chemistry between he and Jennifer Connelly's Melanie is so off the charts. And Jennifer Connelly, I think, really stepped up her game, too, in the second season. I thought she was good last season. She was just as good, if not better, in this first episode of season two of Snowpiercer. So, I mean, who knows? Every Monday night... We get to find out a next chapter in what's going to be a very interesting second season. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Snowpiercer from TNT. Up next, let's dive in to the brand new Resident Alien series from Sci-Fi. Plenty of members of the cast joining me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Peter Hogan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. There's a new doctor in the house, and he wears more faces than you actually know. Sci-Fi's Resident Alien is finally here, of course, based on the Dark Horse comic story. And I actually got a chance to sit down with quite a few members of the cast, actually, to talk about this upcoming season, this first season. And I will tell you, there will be some minor spoilers here for the first episode if you haven't seen it yet. So in all of my interviews, some minor spoilers going to be coming up for this first episode. So why not kick things off? The right way, right? With Sarah Tomko, who plays Asta on the show. And then you also have Alice Wetterland, who plays Darcy. It's so fun to talk to them. Let's see what they had to say about this first season of Resident Alien. Right from the start, 
in the first episode of this series, I mean, you, you can tell it has a little bit of everything. It's not, not necessarily a comedy, not necessarily a drama. It's not necessarily purely sci-fi. So how would you both kind of describe it? A dramedy. A sci-com drama. <laughs> Psychopomedies, maybe. And there's, there's all kinds of different ways you could describe it, I guess. Psychom drama. Relatable, human, messy, dramedy. <laughs> M- messy but but clean yes, but messy, Amblin but... wants us to say that clean messy <laughs> messy but clean I, I like that I like that now you, you can see also that there's I mean something very off about Harry I don't, I don't think I think that's an easy way to describe it so it seems like everybody realizes it but without really spoiling anything what can you tell us about Asta and Darcy's first impression of him Darcy's turned on and I'm going to Darcy's intrigued. Tra- Darcy's intrigued to say the least. Honestly, Harry Vanderspiegel is like some of the dudes on my baseball team. There's this one guy who never wears a shirt and he lives in a boat and is monosyllabic. And you're like, once you've met enough people, <laughs> you know, you're just like, oh, Harry's not that weird. <laughs> Asta has a more grounded reaction, I think. Asta's, uh, first of all, he comes in acting like he knows what he's doing as a doctor, and it's obvious that he really is so bizarre at sniffing body parts and like what is going on in that very first pilot, you know, that she is so uh, like offended the way he's handling a, a, a man she really respected, but then also she's so, like intrigued and he says things so truthfully, just like word vomit coming out of his mouth, and she's had a hard time trusting men. So it's almost like a complete opposite of her normal experience with men. And then she starts to feel like, well, maybe this is a guy I can trust, actually. And then Darcy's turned on. So and that's her best friend. So she's like, oh, yeah, he can't be that bad, I guess, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I never thought about how Darcy being attracted to him makes Asta kind of have to give him a chance. Yeah, it makes me feel safe, like a, a little bit safer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is just another dude that. She, okay, she can handle yeah. him. I mean, I mean, you could tell right away when you walk into the bar, though, that that Darcy's the one you need to go to to get answers, right? Because she's the bartender. She's got the pulse of the town. So, how plugged in is she to patients? Yeah, I mean, Darcy is. Patience is the vortex that keeps sucking Darcy back, and you know she's reluctant, but she is the the town soothsayer. She knows everything about it. And she knows all the gossip and all the different, you know, she's incredibly bored by it, but she knows it. So Sarah, I feel like, you know, Harry is a big focus of the show. Obviously we get to find out quite a bit about Asta's backstory in this very first episode. So were you surprised to find out the fans would get to know her so quickly in this first episode? Um, I was surprised and grateful to be quite honest, because I think getting right to the messy and vulnerable is exactly where we need to begin. It's the best place. She's picking herself up after this horrifically like abusive Mm -hmm. relationship and having to go back to live with her father in a town where she grew up, but she's because she's adopted, she feels like, you know, she doesn't quite fit in or belong anywhere in any one box. And then here comes this guy that she's so like weirded out by. And yet he feels like somebody that also maybe doesn't belong. And so there feels like this wonderful familiarity and friendship there. And I think it's so nice to just get right to the fact that a human and an alien maybe do have more in common. And I think that that is like, 
right off the bat, the thing that you learn about Austin Harry. And it, I think that is what is going to pull people in. So it's clear that you guys are having a blast with this show. I mean, right from the jump. But I think, I mean, we've talked about some serious stuff here. I think this is the question that the world really wants to know, though. How well do aliens hold their liquor? <laughs> um, poorly. Yes. Who knew that if War of the Worlds had been remade, it wouldn't be the bugs that all we needed to do was give those fuckers a shot or two. (laughs) And then they would just chill out. My favorite scene is when he is like, what is that? And then he's like, can I have another? Which is so Very relatable. (laughs) I love at the end how Asta comes in and swoops and is like, please no, and takes the shot out of it. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's so funny to witness him experiencing that for the first time. And yet his inner dialogue that you're hearing like why would people do this i must do it more it's just mm-hmm. it's like a beautiful reminder of how again fucked up we are <laughs> yeah we've sworn it. more in this in this meeting with you james and yeah the rest of the morning you're so. welcome <laughs> so really quick really quickly who do you think obviously no spoilers but who would handle the reveal of harry's secret better you think darcy or asta asta for sure right because mm-hmm. um, yeah, I maybe. I I finally trust a guy, finally, and then he tells me the biggest lie. And he's lie. an alien. <laughs> yeah, but like Asta's kind of like ooey gooey, like, you know, Asta definitely has more of a grip of spirituality. Like Darcy's world, I mean, Darcy's a pure atheist. She's definitely like, there's no God. She's nihilistic. And so to arrive at the conclusion that there is life on other planets and other galaxies that have that is too big of a concept I think for her you know self-centered world I, I don't know I feel like you would be so turned on by it like See, even, that's what that was my thought too actually that's why I asked maybe yeah yeah, yeah. yeah she'd probably be like cool yeah she's down for whatever so <laughs> it's a I notch just figured, on her you know. belt that she didn't expect to get <laughs> nice nice <laughs> awesome you, awesome well, can't wait for everybody to see it. It's January 27th on Sci-Fi. That's a Wednesday. Ladies, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you very much, James. Thanks for being here. But why stop there and we can bring the law and order to the show as well. That's right. I was also joined by Corey Reynolds, of course, plays Sheriff Mike and Levi Filer, who plays Mayor Hawthorne. And I got to talk to them about what they think about season one as well. Check it out. All right, Corey, Levi, I I know that sometimes when you go into comic book adaptations like this, it's either, you know, read the comic, get familiar with the story, or don't read the comic, we don't want you to be influenced with the story. So going into this, how familiar were you with uh, Peter Hogan's original work? I was not familiar with it. And my wife, once once the sh- once I booked the show, she bought me the you know the first issue of the uh, and I read that one. And then Chris was like, uh, maybe keep yourself open. Maybe don't read it too much because we're taking the foundation, but we're kind of building something different. So I don't want you to be expecting one thing and something else happen. So from there, I've just started. From there, I've just been reading the scripts as opposed to following the comic all the way through. I also, I I remember asking Chris specifically, I was like, should I, you know, I want to like be as prepared as possible. Should I read the comics? And he was like, you know, your character is basically not you in the comics. He's kind of this like older, like used car salesman of a mayor with like a plaid jacket and stuff. And so, and also there was, there was going to be kind of a, a, almost like a spoiler of like what was going to happen in this season that we were filming. So I kind of wanted to wait 
until we were done filming to uh to read the comics so i actually just ordered the comics and i'm waiting for them to to get here to, so nice. i can read them nice. my character is very different in the comics as well yeah I was going to say that, speaking of different, I feel like you guys' yeah. characters actually couldn't be more different, especially early on in the season. So kind of talk about, uh, both you guys, the dynamic between the two of them. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, asymmetry uh, between the two of them, uh, whereas Sheriff Mike is confident and loud and aggressive and uh, set in his ways. I think Mayor Ben is kind and compassionate and understanding and patient where naive. Um, <laughs> they're naive yeah, maybe a little naive <laughs> uh, uh you know and i think that that mike sees a lot of that as a weakness but ultimately i think the two of them together we, i was just talking about this a second ago i kind of feel like um uh the the two of them together is kind of like uh like a reese's pieces you know the chocolate and the peanut butter coming together and it makes something delicious because when we're in scenes together, we we can play off of each other, off of those two characters and their differences, and uh, have a lot of fun with it. But they are they are very different, very different. I like the Reese's Pieces. I haven't heard you. I love Reese's Pieces too. So I mean, there yeah, you go, let's man. Do you that. Let's saying? do that. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Yeah, it'd be like, hey, it. you got your chocolate and my peanut butter. Hey, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate. <laughs> and then you remember those commercials? Great combination. They would people were walking, they bump into each other, and I like you know, yes. their chocolate falling. Yeah, so that's kind <laughs> of what it, we man. are. So now, Corey, it seems like the, the sheriff's radar is way up when it comes to Harry. Is is it just good instincts, you think, being a good cop, or is he just, or is Harry just that weird? I think Sheriff Mike is suspicious of everyone but himself. I think uh, I think he, <laughs> he sees everyone as having something to hide. And I think he also sees himself and his his sheriff's department to a lesser degree than himself, but himself as the only thing keeping patients from like turning into Mad Max world. Like, like I think he sees himself as the, the arbiter of protection for the city uh, and he takes it very seriously. But I think, you know, obviously, I don't think there's nearly enough crime, well, up until Harry's arrival to warrant such uh, suspicion on his part. So Levi, this might be a teeny bit of a spoiler for the premiere, but um, Ben's son, Max, actually has a pretty big secret in this first episode, but as a dad myself, I know that kids can come up with some crazy stuff. So how much will that secret actually play out in future episodes? Yeah, it's a big part of, especially Mayor Ben's, my storyline in the show. I mean, because it, it kind of, obviously when Max first is like, the doctor's an alien, we're like, okay, like he's having like, you know, a childlike fantasy, but then he, he kind of, refuses to let that go and move on from it and so we start to it, it goes from being like oh kids will be kids to like oh is there something wrong with our kid like do we need to <laughs> seek uh, professional help with this and so that that kind of that becomes a bit of the storyline as well that that we'll see in later episodes now Corey, you talked about how hard-nosed the the sheriff actually was what do you think makes live the perfect partner for him her patience with him, her unique ability to see kindness where others cannot. I think that she's the first one to completely see Mike as the insecure person he really is. And I think that, first of all, I love Elizabeth Bowen. She is just, she's the best partner that you could have, like whether it be on the police force or as an actor with scene work, she is fucking fantastic. But I think that that she's she's also rooted in the town. She's been there her whole life. 
And she has a kindness to her and a warmth to her that kind of helps melt the ice of him a little bit. I think ultimately, if she can see something in him that others cannot see, then the audience may also uh, see something like that, you know, as well. Because I told Chris, I was like, I don't know how long people are going to like Sheriff Mike with him just being fucking mean to everybody every fucking episode. You know what I mean? I don't know how long we're going to be able to, you know, play that. But she um, she she brings something out in him uh, over the course of the season that I think will be difficult and maybe eventually wonderful for the audience to uh, experience. Excellent. Thank you guys so much. Can't wait for everybody to see it. Thank you. you. Thank you, James. Be well, brother. And if you've already seen it, you know exactly how amazing all of them were in that premiere episode. It was just so much fun, but there was a lot of really serious, detailed character storytelling in the first episode of Resident Alien from Sci-Fi. If you want if you want my full review of the episode, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. But it was just such a joy to watch, and I can't wait for you guys to see the rest of the season as well. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Care of, a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with customized vitamin plans that Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Help you feel your best, and I'll, I'll admit, But maybe you don't know what it is that would make you feel your best, right? Maybe you need a little help. I certainly know I did. I don't necessarily know what I'm missing either. And that's one of the beauty parts about Care Of is that you go to TakeCareOf.com and you take the really quick and easy online quiz. It asks you a few questions. It takes less than five minutes. At the end, you get this tailored, customized plan of vitamins and supplements and powders to say, if you take this, here's what it might help do for you. And there's so you can check out the studies for all of this. There is a very big emphasis on quality from Care Of. They're super transparent about the research and sourcing behind each one of their products. And it's all right there. There's no mystery to what you're going to be getting. And your recommendations come in daily in individually wrapped packets that are perfect for getting back into a routine. It's super easy. You just take the packet and you, you've got your your daily dose right there for you. And for me, that means not, you know, fumbling around with a bunch of different bottles every day. And, oh, well, did I take this? Did I not take this today? I'll know because they were in my packet for the day and it has my name on it. I'll make it even easier for you. Let's get you 50% off your first order from Care Of. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code NERDY50. This will help you get a personally tailored approach to your unique health needs. This is for you. Do something for yourself. Go to TakeCareOf.com, enter promo code NERDY50 to get 50% off your first order from Care Of and start taking better care of yourself and make that your resolution for the rest of this year with Care Of. Once again, thanks to the wonderful cast of Resident Aliens, Sarah Tomko, Alice Waterland, Corey Reynolds, and Levi Filer for joining me this week to talk about the amazing new sci-fi series up next hey that show is based on a comic let's talk about some comics what we're reading next 
on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Kent, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Long boxes or hard drives, doesn't matter where you store them, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading and another dive in to DC's future state. And yes, I said that on purpose purpose, because I'm talking about Aquaman number one from DC in the future state line. Brandon Thomas writing this one. Daniel Sempere on the art here. Adriana Lucas on the colors. Clayton Cowles on the letters. Going to be a little bit spoiler around this one, so just beware of that as we dive in because Jackson Hyde, yes, Black Manta's son, is Aquaman in this story, and also Andy, Arthur and Mara's daughter, is Aquawoman or Aqualass, however you, whatever you want to call her. I mean, she prefers one over the other. If you read the book, you'll know that. But I, I, I digress. I actually feel like Jackson Hyde's look is very familiar in this book, though, and I wonder if anybody else picked up on that. And maybe it was just me. Anyway, we we actually have they they have this very interesting dynamic. Between the two of them, it's almost like a Jedi Padawan style relationship where Andy is very much Anakin in this story, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, if I if I was to draw a parallel to this, I would say that Andy is is definitely an Anakin style Padawan in this story. And they kind of discover what seemed to be some sort of and this is the biggest spoiler I'm going to give for this. It's like a universe hopping or dimensional hopping ocean called the confluence. So basically they they stumble upon this almost by accident too, by the way. So they're battling something pretty huge in the middle of all this. And when something happens to Andy, I should say that this takes place several years before what ends up being the present in this book. I should, I should say that. So something ends up happening to Andy. I won't tell you what that is, but several, several years later, Jackson's actually, I've been in prison for a while, apparently, but, you know, not for long because, you know, how could you hold an Aquaman as a prisoner? But the biggest spoiler in this book actually revolves around Andy's fate or what could have been her fate or what could be her fate. That is the biggest question mark that surrounds this book. And I will say this, the dynamic between Jackson and Andy is, is easily the best part of this story. But things are a bit jumbled throughout here. I mean, the the foundation is good, but I just don't feel like this this there's a firm foundation for this book. I'm just not sure that it's, I don't know, there, there was just something about it, I couldn't put my finger on it, that I'm like, something's keeping this book from being great, and I don't know what it is. Because the art's actually excellent, and the colors really shine through in the book's biggest moments. And man, do the colors matter at the end of this book, too. I will tell you that much right now without spoiling anything. If this book just finds a bit of better balance and clarity, I think they could really have something here. And and again, maybe it's just something I'm missing. Maybe it's just me. You could love it. I know that certainly I've read some other comments, some other reviews on Twitter and stuff like that, that people have loved this book, and I don't blame you for that. So go ahead, give it a shot. DC's Future State Aquaman number one. I'm still curious. I'm going to pick up the next issue and see where this thing goes. I'm not dropping it entirely. I just feel like there was something a little bit missing. Maybe I find that missing thing in the next issue. We'll see. This is one that is actually not coming out for another several days or so, so I'm not going to spoil this one from Dark Horse Comics. It's Fear Case number one, and a great team here, Matt Kent 
writing this one, Tyler Jenkins and Hillary Jenkins doing the art and the colors, respectively. Now, this story follows detectives Winters and Mitchum, who work for the Secret Service, and that much I can tell you. They're trying to solve a case that's been unsolved for years. I mean, a long time, and it involves this mystery box or case. It's actually called the Fear Case. And that's the title of the book. That's not a spoiler. You should understand that it's the title of the book. Now, the case has kind of been seen throughout history, and that's explained throughout the story here, but it must be passed on. And this is in the synopsis for the book, by the way, so this isn't a spoiler either. Must be passed on within three days or bad things will happen. That that much I will tell you. Now, who has it and what it, it, what it does exactly kind of remains a mystery throughout this issue. We've seen places where this thing has been, but where it currently is right this second as you're reading the story, we don't know that for sure. Even after one issue, though, I found myself wondering if I even wanted them to find this thing at all. That's how creepy and just uneasy you get once you learn about this fear case or fear box or whatever you want to call it. It's so bad. That you're like, dude, shit, I don't know if I want these guys to find it. Because you actually really start to, I, I really, the more I read the this book, the more I really got to like Winters and Mitchum. And I'm like, I don't know that I want you guys dealing with this thing. I don't know that I want you anywhere near it. So my likability for the characters kind of played into that. For one, for two, it's like, I wow, this what happens to people who have had this box? Or been around it? I don't know. This, this doesn't seem like something that should be found ever. Now, I will say this. Winters and Mitchum definitely have this big brother, little brother dynamic, even though there's 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 certainly a bit of an age difference there. So, again, that just makes me not want them to find this thing because it's so, you know, powerful and horrifically terrible that I don't want them to have anything to do with it because now I, I like these guys and I want them to stick around. This really does, though feel like a detective story blended with a book like Harrow County, which is also a dark, dark horse book. It's got this creepy, eerie vibe that, you know, and you and it seems like the story revolves around this object where, you know, like Harrow County or in the early going, it was that tree. Right. And now for this, it's this case and bad things seem to just happen around these things. And of course, Harrow County evolved quickly after that, but at the same time, it, 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 there's this just eerie vibe and a backdrop to it, and I, I give part of the credit to that to Tyler and Hillary Jenkins because that art really just gives you that feeling from the start to the finish of this first issue. It almost feels like there's a haze throughout the whole thing, which kind of creates a metaphor of uncertainty as far as I'm concerned. So I'm all in on wherever this goes, and I have a feeling that I have no idea what the next twist is going to be. And to me, that is a, a tick in the wind column because I, I don't need to know right now. I, I, I need to feel like I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, and this book certainly delivered on that. Fear Case number 1 from Dark Horse Comics. Make sure you're picking it up this coming new comic book day. That's going to do for what we're reading. Up next, oh, there's going to be a lot of strong opinions on this first nerd news story, I've got a feeling, and there's some other interesting stuff as well. We'll find out more about it next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
This is Aaron Pierre from Krypton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Dreaming of the days where we could be on the con floor once again. It's time for nerd news. And this is one of those stories where you could easily just see the headline and react to that and maybe not necessarily read the story. And I'm, I'm going to give you that headline now. This, this was first reported by Newsrama. That Image Comics and Skybound are planning on a cruise ship comic con. Yes, you heard me right. And and now this is just, this is not an official thing yet. I want to make sure that that is abundantly clear. Okay, but it would be planned for either 2022 or 2023. And again, not official, but they did send out a survey to gauge interest to certain to certain fans and certain groups. So one of the questions actually in this story from Newsarama centered around when potential con goers would actually feel safe for such an event. Now, to me, and I'm going to go to, and I'm going to take as many sides to this as I can, because it's easy to dunk on this idea right now, isn't it? Because it almost seems like it's something that could never happen. We're not in a stage of our, of our existence right now where large gatherings are in any capacity seem possible in the near future. So you could you look at this and you think, well, 2021's, I mean, 2022's not that far away, right? So you can't imagine that something of a large gathering could be possible by then. But it also could be possible, right? And by 2023, you'd certainly think that we've ha- we have it together enough to be able to get things back to semi-normal, at least. But then I think of this idea of, okay, it's a cruise ship. And even pre-pandemic, cruise ships were, you know, there's there have been reports of outbreaks of like stomach flu and stuff like that on cruise ships. And, you know, you've heard that there, were, there was a story once, I think, that, that the ship was stranded and couldn't, it couldn't dock because there was something wrong with it. And people on the ship were eating ketchup packets and all this other stuff. And, and I'm not going to name names here because I don't remember exactly all the details of the story. But, you know, for every story I've heard of somebody that's gone on a cruise and had a great time, I've also heard stories of, of just these horrific conditions and like Petri dish like settings. And again, that is all pre pandemic. And then you think about, you know, the very beginnings of this COVID pandemic and the stories that came from cruise ships in that regard. And imagine being stuck on a cruise ship that is also a comic book convention and the crowds that bring themselves on that thing. So, I mean, it's just right now, this is not the story you want to come out right now if you're Image Comics and Skybound. Because it's just, it's a bad look. And I'm sure that their intention was not for this to to get out like this either. And you have to think ahead. That's the other thing that kind of needs to be understood here. I know we're worried about whether or not any conventions are going to be happening this year at all. We haven't heard a peep as as, as far as when I'm recording this podcast anyway. About San Diego Comic Con or WonderCon, or Emerald City, none of these. It seems like we haven't heard a peep about any major convention because nobody's sure, nobody knows what's going on and what's going to happen and, and what the future holds. So you were kind of in a holding pattern, but then you get think you, you get this and you think there is no way in hell 
that this is even going to be possible. And and I realize that I say this as someone who's not a fan of cruise ships and the idea of a cruise in general. I, I, I will I understand that I'm coming into that with this bias anyway. But then you think about that set in the backdrop of all of these other things that are going on. You think, nah, there's no way you could do this, right? And then you think, and, and again, no disrespect intended at all to anyone in Image Comics or, and or Skybound. But at the same time, you're thinking, okay, if, if it's really going to be all about comics like you say it's going to be, then how packed is this ship really going to be? Are you betting on the fact that people are going to be so amped up for a convention that they're they're going to jump at the chance to do this? And Image has a lot of very popular books and popular stories in Skybound. I, I know you've got The Walking Dead and Saga and several others, right? But to think you're going to pack a cruise ship for a convention, I don't know. I, I know that Image used to do Image Expo, right? And they've had certain you know events of their own before they so they sort of adopted Emerald City for a couple of years there as like their unofficial image expo thing but that that should tell you something right you used to do your own standalone image expo and then you started piggybacking off of Emerald City and again I'm not saying that image comics and skybound isn't a draw but I mean you're talking about cruises aren't cheap Okay, I don't care if this if this embarks from or disembarks from Miami or L.A. or where it's from. Cruises typically are not cheap no matter where they go. So you're asking fans to drop. I don't know. Just off the top of my head, five, six hundred bucks a piece to do this. And you're talking about image comics here. So unless you're bringing aboard like cast members from the Walking Dead TV series and and other things that Image has coming up in the pipeline here and and Skybound for as far as entertainment value is concerned. I don't know that you're going to get a ton of people, especially since there's so many people still recovering financially from the pandemic, and we don't know where they're going to be at in 2022 or 2023. So again, this is not something that's actually locked in happening. But this just does not feel like the time to be talking about it or even considering it as fans, right? Maybe this is something you're all in for and you definitely spend the money and you'd be down for it. And you're like, yes, I want to do this. It'd be a great chance to get a vacation in and a convention at the same time. There's other stuff to do on cruise ships. I understand all of those things. But at the same time, right now, regardless of how you feel about this pandemic and have felt about it and where we're at right now, it just seems too soon to even bring up. It feels like we need to get to a certain point. We're, we're still talking about whether or not we're going to be able to fill movie theaters. I don't know how we even possibly entertain the idea of filling up a cruise ship to any sort of capacity. So, I don't know. To me, this feels like a pump the brakes type of situation. And I'm sure that... And I do not blame Image and Skybound at all for wanting to sort of test the waters on this pun intended, but I don't know. It just, it just feels like it's too soon. And I think that they're going to figure that out once they get through their surveys. Here's something that the second I saw it again, this is one of those things I see the subject in the email and I go, this is perfect. I love this immediately. And that is Netflix talking about 
two new anime series that they're going to do, and it's from properties that you absolutely love. So you've got Skull Island. Yes, that's Skull Island from King Kong. That's one of the anime series. They're going to be bringing the other one. Oh, my goodness. I've been waiting for this. Tomb Raider. Yeah, so Tomb Raider's getting an anime series on Netflix, and so is Skull Island. Now, you want to be even more excited about Skull Island because Powerhouse Animation, yes, that powerhouse that does Castlevania and Blood of Zeus, yeah, they're going to be the animation studio for Skull Island. How amazingly awesome is that? And apparently, according to the logline that was sent to me from Netflix, it's going to be a thrilling animated adventure series that follows shipwrecked characters desperate to escape the most dangerous place on Earth, a mysterious island home to prehistoric monsters, including the greatest titan of them all, Kong. So you kind of get that Kong Skull Island movie vibe from this anime series, right? But then I think back to the Boom Studios version of this, right? And I think it was James Asmus and Carlos Magno doing the art on the Skull Island comic for Boom Studios. And I think I think it was Boom anyway. And that was such a fun and crazy story. And that's what I think of when I think of this potential anime series. So if it's any, anywhere even close to that, you throw in Powerhouse Animation Studios and, oh, yeah, I'm in. I am so freaking in. For this, And then you look at Tomb Raider, which is going to follow the Square Enix Crystal Dynamics game franchise, not the movies. So I'm going to throw that out there right now. And it says it's going to pick up, the, the logline that was sent says it's going to pick up right after the events of the Tomb Raider video game reboot trilogy. And this the animated series is going to chart the globetrotting heroine's latest, greatest adventure 25 years after first appearing in in video game in her video game franchise and Lara's going to be exploring new territory in this series so we get virtually nothing as far as details go about this Tomb Raider series but this is the first anime for Tomb Raider and it seems like this is one of those where it's like how has this not been done already right you can almost understand how how Kong hasn't been done you 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 get that but then you look at this and you go how has this not been a thing already after 25 years and then Netflix was smart enough to go oh yeah well, we, we we could do that yeah no problem we'll, we'll just go ahead and do that and then the, and then you get an executive producer like Tasha who who has done the Witcher blood who's going to be doing Witcher blood origin and who's done Red Sonja so I mean yeah that that just makes sense a, a lot about this makes sense and, and making this part of the video game, lore and not the movie lore, I think there's really, really smart moves. So, I mean, Netflix is already working on the Pacific Rim series. I think it's called The Black. All right, Pacific Rim The Black, which is the anime series that, that's going to be coming from Legendary TV, who's going to be working on both of these series, by the way. I, this just feels like... I know that some of the other animes that have come out that have been based on major franchises haven't always worked out perfectly, for Netflix, this one seems set up too big to fail, right? This one seems like it's absolutely 100% on, and, and I say this in the very early going, not seeing a trailer or anything like that, but this just seems like a no-brainer to me, and, I, and I'm glad that 
Netflix has realized that. And again, keep on working with Powerhouse Animation Studios. You want to give them the, you want to have them work on absolutely everything, anime style. I'd be okay with that because everything they touch turns to gold. I'm sure Skull Island will be no different, but I'm really stoked for Tomb Raider as well. Sticking with animation here, I want to get into a little bit of trailer talk. I realize we haven't talked about Raya and the Last Dragon on the show yet, so I thought this would be a good opportunity since the new trailer came out. Of course, it's going to be coming to Disney Plus Premiere Access and in theaters on March the 5th. And if you watch this new trailer, it's obvious that this is from the same studio that brought, you know, it's obvious it's Walt Disney, but the same people that were involved with Moana because this really has a bit of a Moana vibe to it if you ask me and it's basically a story of this epic journey into this fantasy world where humans and dragons live together in harmony and then the dragon sacrificed themselves to save humans and now this evil is back and raya is going to be tracking down the last dragon but as you can see when raya does find this dragon sisu who is voiced by aquafina you find out that this dragon's not the best dragon, you know, not not the warrior dragon that you would expect, you know, to kind of unite the the peoples of the world because that's the other thing that unity is a big part of this story as well because everybody's kind of fighting and they need to come together because bad stuff is about to happen. By the way, Raya also voiced by Kelly Marie Tran, and you know, there, there's a little bit of a fun vibe. See this you like like the thing with the baby in the beginning of the trailer that was fun. That there's a lot of serious stuff going on in this movie. And Raya is you want to talk about a warrior. Raya is that you're not getting by me kind of warrior. Like she is willing to throw down with anybody anywhere and do whatever is necessary to complete her mission. I love that about this character. She's just headstrong. And, you know, maybe a little bit too much, right? But again, she's young. Again, like Moana, she is young. And there's still a lot that she needs to learn. I mean, she's got her her dad, who is amazing, played by Daniel Day Kim, or I should say voiced by. And this this is a great cast. You got Sandra Oh involved here, Benedict Wong. Alan Tudyk is actually a part of this cast as well. Gemma Chan. So there's a lot going for this cast. Already, but this just feels like an epic fantasy adventure, and there are few places that can even come close to matching what Walt Disney does with these fantasy type adventures. So it's almost like you're blending the best parts of Moana with this legendary dragon like fantasy world as well. And I've just I was already looking forward to this when I saw the first trailer. This trailer really brought me around to just like, I need this right now. Have to wait until March the 5th to see it. But this is one of those things that I need to see this now because I think that this is obviously going to have a great message because, you know, Disney does that. But at the same time, I think that this is going to just be a really cool and visually striking movie as well. So I can't wait for that. This next trailer I'm talking about could not possibly be more different than the one I just talked about. And that's for a new Amazon series called Tell Me Your Secrets, which is going to be coming up the first season. Basically, what we have here is this morally complex thriller is how it's described. But as I watch this trailer, it feels like there's a lot to dig into. It's very psychological. 
there's, you know, morality kind of gets blurred here. And it does center around secrets in a way, but really, what it really centers around is the are these three characters, and that's Emma, who's played by Lily Rab. You've also got another character in this, in this, and that's Hamish Linkletter's character, John, and then you've got Mary, who's played by Amy Brenneman, and she's a grieving mother. You've got Emma, who's kind of in witness protection right now, and John just happens to be a serial predator who's looking for redemption. Now, they kind of seem to get tangled up in the same story at some point, but we don't. that's not quite clear in the trailer. And then you even see Emma at the beginning of this trailer, and she's like, I'm not sure if these things that I'm seeing are nightmares or memories. And that, to me, that's what draws me in and goes and thinks there's more going on here than meets the eye. And that's what made this so interesting for me. And you find out that, you know, certain stuff gets to, starts to get revealed about their past. And, you know, like, who's the real victim here? That starts to come into play as well. So, to me, and then you've got Harriet Warner, who's involved in this, the creator of the series, who did Dangerous Liaisons. And you're thinking, okay, well, that's a, that's a good connection that you can make there. So, on February 19th, that's when these 10 episodes drop. And I think this one... Just there's just something about this that makes me go. I'm so invested in what's going to be happening in this series. So can't wait to bring you my review of that one when the time is right. I just think that this one has a lot of potential and a very underrated cast that you might not know all the names. But once you see what they can do, you're going to be all in for this series as well. Tell me your secrets coming February 19th on Amazon Prime Video. Quickly onto some casting news that came out this week. The Sandman cast for the upcoming Netflix series has been announced. At least the first wave of casting announcements has been made anyway. Highlighted, at least I think highlighted, by Gwendolyn Christie is going to play Lucifer in the series. I think that is a big time play. I think that Gwendolyn Christie is going to do a fantastic job in that role. And a very different Lucifer than the one that you're used to seeing on the other Netflix series played by Tom Ellis. So if you're thinking there's going to be any similarities there, nah, nah, not at all. You'll, you'll see when you see the series. You've got Tom Surridge, Surridge as Dream. Looks like that's pretty good casting there. Vivian Ashampong as Lucian. You've got Charles Dance as Roderick Burgess. You've got Sanjeev Bhaskar as Kane. Asim Chaudhry as Abel and Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian. Now, I know if you're a fan of the Sandman... You're thinking, okay, well, have they did they cast death? And, you know, maybe they're not going to have death in season one. I kind of thought just because the character was so popular that they'd find a way to squeeze death into this first season of the show. I, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case now. I don't I don't hate that. I think it's fine you focus on this cast and you go from there. You're, you're introducing a lot of people to this story. There's, there's plenty of people that aren't familiar with the story of the Sandman from Neil Gaiman and company. So uh, this is a good way to introduce the story. And then, you know, you kind of cater to longtime fans after that, I think. And I know fans of the Sandman aren't going to want to hear that, but, you know, this book has had a cult following for a while. You need this a little bit to be a little bit more in the mainstream way of thinking. And I think you got to introduce the the general public to your main cast first before you go making any crazy decisions on who else to bring in for a second season you have to be lucky enough to get a second season too though so that there is a risk there as well 
Speaking of more casting, we've got Titans adding yet another Robin for this season, and that is Tim Drake has been has been cast. And Jay, like Kurgo, is going to be playing that role. You might have seen Jay and I May Destroy You on HBO. Now, he also has a role in the upcoming Matt Reeves Batman movie. And I know what you're thinking, and no. No, no, no. I can't imagine that this is how they'd connect the Batman to the TV world, okay? I No, no, he's not going to be playing Tim Drake in both. I just can't see that happening. I mean, stranger things have happened, right? But I sort of doubt that, okay? And you know how smart Tim is. You know how great Tim is. I know you love the character. And I'm excited to see what he's going to be bringing to Titans, but at the same time, it makes me think, okay, there's a lot of cooks in this kitchen, and somebody's got to go, okay? So, somebody from this cast has got to go. At some point, because they got a lot of balls in the air right now, and they just keep adding and adding and adding. And and at some point, I st- I got to start to worry if it's going to be too much. Now, I don't know how much of a role he's going to play in this upcoming third season. It could be right at the end of the season during some sort of a transitional period, especially with whatever goes on with Jason Todd, Red Hood. Who knows? But, you know, the fact that there really isn't a Robin right now on the show technically because you've got you know you've got Dick Grayson's now Nightwing and we know that the whole Red Hood thing is going to be happening so now you've got no Robin and of course you know Batman's not going to be without a Robin forever enter Tim Drake and it was only a matter of time before they cast Tim Tim Drake for this series anyway so I mean again very early on we'll have to wait and see we haven't even seen a, a trailer anything for season three of Titans but I mean with the move to HBO Max they're going to go big you had to know that. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the cast of Sci-Fi's Resident Alien for joining me this week. Hopefully you're watching that show every Wednesday night at 10 o'clock Eastern Time on Sci-Fi. Also, thanks to our sponsor this week, Care Of. Make sure you go to TakeCareOf.com. Enter code NERDY50. I want you to get 50% off your first Care Of order and take care of yourself early here in 2021. You want to find out more about what we've got going on? Always go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter, on Instagram, and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.